0: Dina Weiss for Hadar. Parashat Bayigash. Difficult conversations. Yosef's plan to reveal himself to the brothers who sold him to Egypt is elaborate and unfolds gradually and dramatically. This week's parsha begins right after Yosef frames his youngest brother Benjamin, with a crime. Yosef has his special goblet planted in Benjamin's sack and has him arrested for the supposed theft. Ba'yigash opens with Yehuda's long and impassioned speech to Yosef on behalf of their youngest brother. Yehuda pleads with Yosef to free Benjamin and imprison Yehuda instead. And now let your servant stay as a slave instead of the boy, and the boy will go up with his brothers. However, before Yehuda makes his bold request, he narrates some of the story of the brother's interaction with Yosef first. Why does Yehuda make this rhetorical choice? Why does he take the time to tell Yosef what he already knows? And why does the Torah choose to include the entirety of this lengthy and somewhat repetitive speech? Yehuda's strategic choices can provide us with a way to approach the difficult conversations in our own lives and guide us in navigating these challenging interactions well. The entirety of Yehuda's speech is as follows. V'yigash elav Yehuda va'Yomer, Bi Adoni Y'daber na'avdecha davar boz Adoni, V'al yichar apachah b'avdecha ki k'amocha kifaro. Adoni sha'alat avadav le'mor ha'yesh av o'ach V'nomar l'adoni Yesh l'ano avzakein v'yelad zikunim katan Va ahiv mate, vayeva teru hu levado li mo, vay aviv ahivo. Vatomer el horiduhu elaye asima eni elav. Va nomer el adoni, lo yuhal hanar lazovet aviv, vayazavet aviv va mate. Vatomer el avadeha, im loy redahihemakatonitrem, lo tosifun lir od panai. Vayhi, kialino el aviv, anagadlo et de adoni. Bayomer Avinu, Shuvu Shivu Banomer Oha. By nomer Lonuhal Laredet in Mesh Achino Hakaton Itanu. Via Radnu, Kilonuhaler Ot Peneha Ish, Viachino Hakaton, and Eau Itanu. Vayomer, avi Elenu, Atem Yetatem Kishanai Meldali Ishti. By Teha Achadme Iti, Vaomar Af Tarov Toraf, Velo Reitiv Adhena. Ulakartem gametze me impanai, Vikarahu ason, Rahoradita metsevati, Bera ashaola. Viata, Kavoya lavdacha avi, Vahanar eneno itanu, Venashoka shurabenafshom. Vahayakir otok, he ain hanar, Vamait, Vahoridu avadeha, Etsevat avdacha avinu biagoin shola. He avdacha a ravata naar me imavi, Lemur, Imlo aviano e lacha vechatati laavi colhayamine. Yehuda approached him and said, If it please my master, let your servant speak in the ears of my master, for one who is like you is like Paro. My master asked his servant, saying, Do you have a father or brother? And we said to my master, We have an old father and a youngest brother of his old age, whose brother has died. And he alone remains of his mother, and his father loves him. And you said to your servants, Bring him down, and I will place my eyes upon him. And we said to our master, The boy cannot leave his father, for when he leaves, his father will die. And you said to your servants, You will not see my face again if your youngest brother does not come down with you. And it came to pass that we went up to our father your servant, And we told him the words of my master. And our father said, Return and provide some food for us. And we said, We can't go down unless our youngest brother is with us, in which case we will go down, since we may not see the face of the man without our youngest brother with us. And your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two children. One of them departed from me, and I said, He is surely torn apart. Yehuda approached him and said, If it please my master, let your servant speak in the ears of my master. For one who is like you is like Paro. My master asked his servant, saying, Do you have a father or brother? And we said to my master, We have an old father and a youngest brother, son of his old age, whose brother has died. And he alone remains of his mother, and his father loves him. And you said to your servants, Bring him down, and I will place my eyes upon him. And we said to our master, The boy cannot leave his father, for when he leaves his father will die. And you said to your servants, You will not see my face again, if your youngest brother does not come down with you. And it came to pass that we went up to our father your servant, and we told him the words of my master. And our father said, Return and provide some food for us. And we said, We can't go down unless our youngest brother is with us, in which case we will go down, since we may not see the face of the man without our youngest brother with us. And your servant my father said to us, You know that my wife bore me two children. One of them departed from me, and I said, He is surely torn apart, and I have not seen him, even up until now. And you would take this one from before me as well? An accident could befall him, and I will die of grief. And now, when I come to my father, your servant, and the boy is not with me, his soul is tied to his soul. When he sees that the boy is not there, he will die, and your servants will have caused our father, your servant, to have died of anguish." For your servant guaranteed the boy from my father, saying, If I don't bring him to you, I will have sinned to my father for all time. Now let your servant remain as a slave to my master instead, and the boy will go up with his brothers. For how can I go up to my father and the boy is not with me, lest I witness the evil that will find my father? There are a number of lessons that we can glean from Yehuda's speech. Yehuda's choices of what to say and how to say it provide a template of how to broach difficult conversations and emerge from them with both parties feeling respected and heard. 1. Avoid blame. Yehuda efficiently tells the story of how his family came to Egypt and the way that Yosef treated them when they encountered him. Though he chooses to narrate much that Yosef already knows and that we know as readers, there are a number of lessons that we can glean from Yehuda's speech, Yehuda's choices of what to say and how to say it provide a template for how to broach difficult conversations and emerge from them with both parties feeling respected and heard. One, avoid blame. Yehuda efficiently tells the story of how his family came to Egypt and the way that Yosef treated them when they encountered him. Although he chooses to narrate much that Yosef already knows and that we know as readers, in point of fact, Yehuda is very selective in his presentation. He is careful to lay down the facts in a way that is not completely exhaustive, only including the parts of the story that are necessary for the point that he eventually wants to make. Yehuda does not include Yosef's accusation that the brothers were spies. He does not include the bizarre choice that Yosef makes to return the brothers' money to them. And he does not mention why Benjamin has been taken into custody. Yehuda's narrative is focused entirely. Around how Yaakov's sons were asked by Yosef to bring Binyamin to Egypt, and why it was difficult for them, as children of their father, to acquiesce to this request. Had Yehuda included details that were not specifically germane to the point that he needed to make, Yosef could have felt that Yehuda was complaining and unjustly stacking up the facts in a way that made Yosef seem arbitrary and demanding. By clearing away extraneous information, Yehuda was able to get to his point more directly. He argues for why Benjamin should be released and he himself imprisoned instead, without providing Yosef with reason to feel defensive and resistant. By minimizing the amount of time he spends addressing Yosef's behavior and maximizing his narration of the possible future impact of Yosef's choices, he avoids beating a dead horse and moves the narrative in a constructive vein. He doesn't dwell on all that Yosef did to him and his brothers. This speech isn't about his expressing himself and airing his grievances. This is about addressing the matter at hand and focusing on what is not too late to change. Another way in which Yehuda keeps Yosef from becoming defensive is his use of respectful pronouns. Yehuda consistently refers to himself and Yosef as well as to his father and Benjamin in the anonymous third person. He refers to himself as your servant, his father as your servant, my father, and to Yosef as my master. Using these terms is not only a sign of respect and even obsequiousness, it also enables him to present the story to Yosef from a more neutral vantage point. By using pronouns, Yehuda can present the story more impersonally, and Yosef can hear it more as a story, or even as an argument, and not necessarily as an attack. It makes it possible for Yosef to hear this tale of woe as if it were a parable, a mashal, about a master, his servant, and that servant's young brother, an elderly, vulnerable father. This is a technique that Yehuda may have learned from his own life experience. When his daughter in law, Tamar, needed Yehuda to acknowledge that her unborn child was his, she referred to him anonymously. She did not say it was Yehuda. Instead, she said, I was impregnated by the one to whom these objects belong. Identify who owns this seal, cords, and staff. The driver's license and major credit cards of the ancient Near East. Because Yehuda was able to approach the situation without feeling attacked, it opened up the possibility for him to admit that he was wrong. When we know that the story is about us and the accusation is leveled at us, then we become defensive. Hearing the story in a neutral tone with characters who are not us enables us to evaluate the situation more objectively. We should learn from Yehuda's speech to enter the conversation through the lens of facts and not through the lens of complaints or condemnation. We should enter the conversation conveying as little judgment as possible, to open up a door for the person who we are speaking to. We want to encourage receptivity and empathy, both of which require some distance in the presentation on the part of both parties. And we should focus on the future. What can we do to fix this, rather than on the past? Confront how you have harmed me. If we want to be able to move forward towards a good outcome, we need to make it clear that we are willing and able, to move on from past grievances. 2. Get emotional. Once Yehuda can be sure that Yosef is listening, he allows Yosef to peer into his father's heart. Yehuda does not maintain that the reason why Yosef should heed his request is purely rational or moral. Instead, he appeals to Yosef's emotions. He tries to garner Yosef's sympathy because he wants Yosef to be able to act out of sympathy. Yehuda does not pretend that this is no big deal, and that if Yosef denies his request, that everything will be okay. He tries to garner Yosef's sympathy because he wants Yosef to be able to act out of sympathy, which will allow Yosef to maintain the position that his own behavior is justified, and nevertheless, choose to change that behavior. Yehuda does not pretend that this is no big deal, and that if Yosef denies his request, that everything will be okay. He allows Yosef to step into the emotional state of the people he had been talking to and manipulating. He allows Yosef to see what his actions look like from the other side, to feel their impact. He uses language that reflects the true agony that Yaakov is experiencing, and the depth of his own fear and dread. It can be difficult to betray vulnerability, particularly in a situation where we already feel or already are, in fact powerless or defenseless. But Yehuda teaches us to be emotionally transparent, that it's okay to ask someone to be kind to us, to take care of us. Yehuda is taking a risk in sharing his feelings with such a powerful figure, and one who has behaved so arbitrarily and cruelly to him. But words that emerge from the heart enter the heart, and Yosef's heart breaks when he hears Yehuda speak in this way. Yosef's stern veneer cracks, and he can no longer hold back his tears. And Yosef was unable to hold back, and he wept aloud. Three, speak confidently. When Yehuda addresses Yosef, though his tone might be a bit pleading, what he actually says demonstrates an underlying assumption and conviction that Yosef will be interested in doing the right thing. He never says anything to the effect of, I know that this is a big request or I understand why you wouldn't want to do this, or I'm not deserving of this treatment. He lays out his argument with patience and with confidence. He doesn't betray any insecurity as far as the validity of his request, or even more importantly, Yosef's willingness to comply. He doesn't suggest that accommodating this need would be exceptionally kind of Yosef, nor that denying it would be especially cruel. He speaks with hope, and thereby invites Yosef to say yes. Perhaps the most striking feature of Yehuda's speech is how much factual information he repeats to Yosef, which Yosef presumably already knows. However, though the information is not new and Yosef may be aware of what has happened, its impact, emotional or otherwise, is not necessarily known to Yosef. When Yehuda takes pains to reiterate the facts, he sets the stage for reframing them. He allows Yosef to hear the facts in Yehuda's voice to see the expression on his face and to understand what the reality means to Yehuda and how it affects him Yehuda does not allow the facts to speak for themselves he chooses to narrate them in his own voice and to tie them to his own experience and the experience of those he cares for four say it again the most important lesson to absorb from Yehuda is that we need to be willing to repeat ourselves. Sometimes it takes a second or a third time for the impact and meaning of what we are trying to communicate to sink into the heart and mind of the person we are in relationship with. It takes a tremendous amount of patience to repeat ourselves until we are fully heard, and what we are trying to communicate is fully appreciated. It can feel frustrating to have to open up the same conversation more than once. When we aren't getting through we can feel ignored or neglected. However, it is human nature to need some practice and reinforcement. We all forget. We all occasionally fail to understand and respond. Often we need to hear the same thing more than once or twice before we can incorporate an insight into our behavior, before we can make a change. Often, when we find ourselves in conflict or in pain, we can feel exasperated at having to spell out something that is, to us, obvious. You already should know this, and I shouldn't have to tell you. Or, We already spoke about this, and we shouldn't have to be speaking about it again. Yehuda knew that Yosef had the facts. Maybe he shouldn't have had to restate them and reframe them. But because he chose to, his plea penetrated into the soul of his brother and led to a level of reconciliation and forgiveness that even he himself did not think was possible. Wishing you a Shabbat that penetrates the heart. Shabbat shalom. Thank you for listening to our weekly DeVray Torah. To see more from our archive, please visit hadar.org slash Torah.